Hello everyone and welcome back to the BMW Blog Podcast. This is episode 8. Um, and we have some very interesting things to talk about. Uh, first I wanted to say that you know we were on a little bit of a short week this week because of Thanksgiving here in the US. Um, you know, the famous holiday. Uh, so we had a bit of a break for that, you know, because we need to take breaks too. But I want to talk to you a little bit today about the Alfa Romeo Giulia versus the 3 Series, because we wrote an article about that uh, during the week, and it got quite a lot of comments and some, a lot of traction. A uh, very polarizing polarizing topic. So we want to talk about that. Obviously, we have to talk about the Tesla Cybertruck, because that's the craziest news of the automotive world right now. And then I'm going to answer some of your questions. Um, there might not be a lot of topics, but the Cybertruck is going to take a while. So, let's dig in. Um, first, I just want to say Happy Thanksgiving to any of our American uh, listeners who enjoyed the holiday. Uh, it was a long four-day weekend for most people, um, and that's great. You know, it's just a great time to spend, you know, spend some time with family and uh, friends, and you know, have some really good food. I think I gained about ten pounds myself this weekend. So it's back to the gym tomorrow. Let's try to burn some of that off. Um, but yeah, so it was great to you know have some time off and watch some great football and hang out with friends and family and do that whole thing. Get a little too drunk and argue with family members. That's like the main American pastime. Uh, so yeah, Thanksgiving was fun. But on to uh, another topic that I think is... I really enjoy talking about it because um, it's about two cars that I really, really like and uh, it's a discussion that seems to spark a lot of controversy uh, among our readers. And that's the Alfa Romeo Giulia and the BMW 3 Series. So, um, I've driven several Giulias and several 3 Series, and I like both cars a lot. I'm a really big fan of the Giulia, I really am. Um, that might not be the most popular opinion among BMW uh, enthusiasts, but I think the Alfa Romeo Giulia is a sensational sports sedan. It's just absolutely fantastic to drive. It has its issues, of course. You know, it's not a perfect car by any means. Um, in fact, it's quite a heavily flawed car, if I'm being honest. But to actually drive, like when you're actually on the move and hustling it, there there probably isn't a better sports sedan in the segment. And I'm including the new uh, G20 BMW 3 Series in that. But it's interesting because I really like the 3 Series. I'm uh, of the opinion that it's probably the best driving 3 Series aside from the E46. I think it's the best since then. Um, it's just absolutely fantastic to drive, and I, I really like it a lot. I think it's second best to drive in the segment, and it's a cl- very, very, very close second. I mean, there's only little things about the Julia that that I enjoy more on a twisty road, but because the 3 Series is so much better in every other way, it's the best all-around sports sedan in the segment, um, at least in my opinion. But Alpha has just given the Julia a facelift, and um, honestly, on the outside, nothing has changed. But that's a good thing, because it's a gorgeous, gorgeous car. Um, it's definitely, in my opinion, the best-looking sedan in its class. The C-Class being a close second, the Mercedes C-Class. But um, I think it's just a beautiful car, and it looks so exotic. So I'm glad that they didn't change anything with the exterior. What they did was, they changed the interior. And not by a, a ton, you know, they didn't change much. But the few changes they made were, I think, pivotal to making the Julia a genuine competitor in the segment. Because there are things about the interior of the Julia that weren't always great. For instance, the shift lever. 
Um, in every Julie I've driven, whether it be the base model, 2-liter turbo, up to the you know top-of-the-line quadrifolio performance model, the shift lever felt and still feels like you know it's made by you know fisher price it is just a flimsy cheap piece of plastic crap and it wouldn't be it would be out of place in a rental hyundai elantra it has no business being in a car that costs as much as the julia um nor in a car as premium as the julia so that was always a big disappointment also, the infotainment system is crap. It's pretty crap. It, the screen is small. It's dim. The resolution isn't very good. Uh, the menus are confusing. The controls are kind of, you know, tedious. Like, you have to hit, like, every time you hit back on the, the little redundant con- buttons on the uh, the console, it takes you all the way back to the menu, so you can't, like, go back one page. It's just, it's it's aggravating. It's not fun to use, and it makes driving like while trying to do things with the infotainment system difficult. So BMW's iDrive crushes it there. And, um, you know, just some things like that. And it seems that the new Julia facelift rectifies a lot of those issues. The shift lever is new. The swivel wheel, which previously felt like it was going to fall off every time you used it, is updated and new. It ironically looks like, uh, you know, like Gen 6 of BMW's iDrive. Um, And the infotainment system itself is new. It features a touchscreen now, so it has both you know, rotary dial and touchscreen for controls, which is very like BMW. And I think that's a great idea. Uh, the screen looks better. It uh, looks of, you know, to be higher resolution. And I'm hoping, because I haven't used it yet, but I'm hoping that the menus, like all the sub-menus, are easier to use than they are now. And I'm assuming they are, considering it's a new system. And what always blew my mind was, Alpha is part of the Fiat Chrysler group. And if you sit in an Alpha, a lot of the switches and, like, uh, like, there's the window switches and the knobs and stuff, they they are pulled straight from a Chrysler. Like, for instance, the Alpha Julia Quadrifoglio and the Stelvio Quadrifoglio have window switches that are exactly the same as the ones in my wife's uh, 2014 Grand Cherokee. So, they have that, they borrowed those bits from Chrysler, but they didn't borrow the Uconnect infotainment system before, and that's a great system. The touchscreen Uconnect system for in all modern, uh, well, at least the, the higher-end one in all modern Chrysler vehicles is fantastic. It, it's easy to use. The touchscreen is responsive. The menus are clear. Uh, it's a great system. I don't know why Alpha never used it before. I don't know if they're using a version of it now because, like I said, I haven't played with it. Um, I just know that it's been you know, drastically updated. So I'm, I'm really curious to see that because if, the, if Alpha can give the Julia a genuinely good interior, then... It's going to be a very dangerous car in the segment. It's going to be one that you can't say but about anymore. You know, you can't say, well, it drives fantastically, but it's a pain in the ass to actually use on the road every day. You know, it was always the Julia looks great. We love driving it, but I don't want to actually own one. And I think uh, these new updates have a chance of making the Julia an, a really well-rounded sports sedan and i'm excited about that because i think the more great cars in the road doesn't matter what brand they come from the more great cars in the road the better um it not only is it better for the customer because it gives the customer more options but it pushes other car makers to be better you know competition breeds excellence so i'm really interested to see what this new julia facelift is like because i really think it can it can become a genuine home run hit uh, I love driving it. I love the Quadrifoglio so much. I've always said that uh, if it was, if I had a choice between the Quadrifoglio or the M3 on a twisty mountain road, 
if it was just for the weekend, I would choose the Julia Quadrifolio 10 times out of 10. But if it was to actually own, I'm taking the M3. And that really sums up the, you know, the difference between the two cars is that the Julia is fantastic to drive, but the, the 3 Series and the M3, you know, whichever trim level it is, uh, is just the more well-rounded car, the better one to live with. So I'm hoping these updates change that. Uh, so I'm actually going to reach out to Alpha soon, see when we can uh, test one out. Uh, you know, I really can't wait for that. We actually did a comparison test between the 3 Series and the Julia, and my thoughts were exactly the same as, you know, I just shared with you. I, I thought the Julia was, you know, just that little tiny bit better to drive, you know, on, um, when you're driving sporty, when you're pushing it hard, it's just that little bit better. It has that, has steering that's just, that's sweeter. It's light and delicate, but it's tactile, and you can place the front end exactly where you want. You feel like you can drive with your fingertips. It's just this beautiful steering. The chassis is well-balanced. It's just a playful, little, happy little thing. Um, and it, it, it's a little bit better than the 3 Series. The 3 Series is still a fantastic driving car, but it feels a bit more serious. Um, so I did give the win to the 3 Series. It was a 330i in that test uh, versus the 4-cylinder Julia. I gave the win to the 330i because outside of that, it was better in every way. I mean, its interior was better, infotainment system is better, the ride is better, <laughs> reliability is better. So the 3 Series is the better car overall, but I'm hoping that Alpha really made some good changes with this uh, this facelift. I'm really excited about that. But okay, let's move on from the Alpha and 3 Series because we need to carve out a large chunk of time for the Tesla Cybertruck. This is the thing that's been captivating car enthusiasts for the past week. It is a ridiculously polarizing topic. I mean, it has Tesla fans so unbelievably excited, and it has so many car enthusiasts and journalists and, you know, me members of the media just completely in awe of the sheer odd oddity of it. It's the weirdest thing I think anyone in the car industry has seen in a very, 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 very long time. Um, and there's a lot of weird stuff to it. Like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of mystery surrounding it. Cause it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense even for Tesla. Like it just, it came out of nowhere. Um, it seemed like it was a half-assed project. It seemed like it was slapped together in five minutes and drawn on the, like you hear the stories like, Oh, they, they drew the sketch on a napkin. That's never true. No one ever draws a sketch on a napkin, but it seems like the Cybertruck was sketched on a napkin. Like it, and then they never took it any further. They sketched it on a napkin. They went straight to manufacturing. Like it's just the weirdest, weirdest thing I've ever seen. And I mean, if you look at it as if you, if you get all the spectacle out of it, if you take all the spectacle away and you, and you just look at the specs of it, you know, a truck with like, you know, semi bulletproof armor and glass. And we'll get to the hilariousness of that in a second. But, uh, you know, a pickup truck with that's semi bulletproof. So it's just just the idea that it's really strong on the outside, all electric, you know, fast up to 300 miles of range for under 80 grand ish. Like that's a pretty damn good vehicle. You know, that sounds like a great proposition. But then you look closer and you realize that that's it's just not realistic. And I know that this is going to cause some controversy, but there's so much about the Cybertruck that doesn't make any sense. Um, firstly, let's talk about the fact that it's not actually bulletproof. Now, I know that it was a prototype, and I know that, you know, this stuff wasn't finished, but there's no way in hell that the truck that rolled up on that stage is bulletproof. Okay, so they tested it. Elon Musk had a man come over and hit it with what he called a sledgehammer wasn't a sledgehammer. 
You can tell because you can look at it and you can see that Lowe's and Home Depot sell the exact same sledgehammer and it's not a sledgehammer, it's a big dead blow hammer. And the idea is that it's a plastic, big heavy plastic hammer, it's like 12 pounds, so might, before anyone says, well it couldn't be a plastic hammer because it looked like it was heavy to swing. Yeah, it's still like a 12 pound, 15 pound hammer, it's just made of plastic and the idea is that it's not supposed to damage body panels hard because it's for like auto repair and stuff. Dead blow hammers are not designed to cause a lot of damage. So yes, it's probably a pretty strong body, but it wasn't really put to an extreme test. So anyone claiming that the hammer test proves it's bulletproof, they're just not looking into it close enough. Secondly, and this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen, was the bulletproof Tesla armor glass test. So Elon Musk, of course, with his you know typical bravado, had the man come back on stage and throw a glass or a, throw a metal ball at the glass. And the idea was that if he threw this metal ball, this dense metal ball at the glass, it would just bounce right off. And it totally didn't. It shattered the glass in one shot. And even Musk was a he was completely he had no words. He was baffled. He did not expect that to happen. And it was so hilarious. Um, it broke the glass, but then he, he rightfully pointed out, it, but it didn't go all the way through. That's true, but the guy totally had a weak throw, and he didn't throw it hard, and if he threw it harder, it would have went through, probably. And even if it didn't, it was nowhere near the velocity of a bullet, so there's no way that that glass is bulletproof. Now, I mentioned this in an article that, yes, it's probably pre-production glass, it's probably not a finished product, and if Tesla is actually building you know, bulletproof glass... The fact that it's pre-production, you can't really judge the fact that it broke right then because it could have just been a faulty pre-production piece. That's totally reasonable and fair. However, Elon Musk knows this. If, if it is pre-production, he would have known that and he wouldn't have tested it by throwing a metal ball at it and taking the chance on pre-production glass. Or maybe he is that arrogant. Maybe he really thought his pre-production glass would work. I don't know. But there's so much weird stuff about this whole thing. But then he said, throw it at the back window, throw, throw it at a different window, try it again. Maybe it was just a bad piece of glass. And he did that, and the ball broke the glass again. So it couldn't even have been like just one piece of faulty glass. Then he said, he came out later the next day in the media and said that the sledgehammer blow, which wasn't a sledgehammer, but anyway, the sledgehammer blow damaged the glass prior to the ball throw, and that weakened it, making the ball break it. Now, that is a reasonable answer to that. However, the man only hit the driver's door. He didn't hit the back door. The metal ball broke both panes of glass, front and back. So unless the body sends shock vibrations so hard through both doors that it damaged both pieces of glass, which is atrocious, um, there's that's not the... That's not why it happened. So, you know, unless the the shock from the hammer blow to the passenger door went through into the back door and broke the back glass too, which I doubt happened because that's not really how things work, um, he's lying. So, and I get why he's lying because he's trying to spin a hilariously failed PR stunt. But still, the the weirdness that surrounds this whole truck is just baffling to me. Then there was the fact that he flat out said that Tesla has no means of manufacturing that steel that he claims is super bulletproof 
for that truck yet. So he's claiming that the truck is going to come out soon and it's going to be, you know, this the most amazing truck ever and it's going to be faster than a Porsche 911 and handle faster than a Porsche 911 be able to tow a gazillion, gajillion pounds. So it's going to be the best pickup truck in the world while also being a supercar. Okay, sure it is. Anyway, that can't even be true unless it's actually manufactured and he already said there's no way to manufacture it yet. So he's asking a bunch of people for $100 deposits on a car that he can't even build yet. That to me is just, oh my God, it almost gives me a headache. It's so ridiculous that it almost gives me a headache. And what's frustrating to me about this is Tesla, I, I want Tesla to succeed because Tesla is an American brand that makes very impressive electric performance cars and it should succeed. That's a good thing that Tesla is making great electric cars and they're pushing the rest of the industry to continue to push the envelope and make electric cars. Like the Porsche Taycan would not exist if the Tesla Model S didn't exist. Do you know what I mean? You can't be amazed at the Porsche Taycan, which it is unbelievable. You can't be amazed at it and happy that it exists without also being happy that the Model S exists because the Model S is the reason why the Taycan exists. Do you see what I'm saying? So I want Tesla to succeed, but the Cybertruck is a ridiculous PR stunt. At least, I mean, uh, even Horacio disagrees with me a little bit on this one. He he thinks t this is going to be a real car and he, it, it's going to be made. And he, he, you know, he really believes that this car will be made and doesn't want to bet against Elon Musk. Whereas I think that it's a bit ridiculous and that it's a total PR stunt because Tesla just made like $15 million in reservations that are non-refundable, by the way, um, for a car that is probably never going to be made. So it's just all a bit silly. And then there was the, I love the the stunt where he had, they said, oh, we built an ATV too to go with it. And the ATV drives up into the back of the bed. Yet so many people on social media have recognized that it's actually not a Tesla ATV. It's a Yamaha ATV with a new body on it. And even people even saw exhaust smoke coming out of it. So it wasn't even all electric. Um, or at least it, there's a possibility it wasn't all electric. Um, and Yamaha made a statement like we did not work with Tesla. So if that's what they did, um, I, I don't know what the hell they were doing because we did not work with them to make an ATV. Um, so it, there's just so much weirdness surrounding the Cybertruck. Oh, and then there was the hilarious stunt that he put on video that they didn't even do like live. They, they posted it on social media. It was a video of the Tesla Cybertruck towing, you know, having a, to a towing tug of war with a Ford F-150 and obviously winning, right? And it was supposedly pulling the F-150 uphill. But it proved nothing. All it proved was the Tesla Cybertruck was heavier, a lot heavier, than a rear-wheel drive F-150 with probably a V6 in it. Now, I have no way of knowing if the F-150 in the test was V6-powered rather than V8-powered. However, it's very obvious in the video that it's only rear-wheel drive because only the rear wheels are spinning forwards uh, in the test. The front wheels are actually rolling backwards as it gets pulled by the Tesla, and if it were four-wheel drive, that wouldn't be happening. So uh, we know that the test was a bit rigged because it was using a rear-wheel drive F-150 rather than an all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive one versus an all-wheel drive all-electric uh, Cybertruck. What's interesting about that, though, is um, Jason Fensk from Engineering Explained, and I apologize if I mispronounced his name, um, but he uh, he did a great breakdown of that Tesla F-150 stunt. 
Um, and he always has great engineering breakdowns. He really helps even layman's like myself understand uh, technical engineering things that I otherwise wouldn't. But he broke that video down and basically explained that the only reason or the only thing that that video proved was that the Cybertruck is very, very heavy and a lot heavier than the F-150. Um, and that's even considering if it was a four-wheel drive version, which it very clearly wasn't. And he explains that he's kind of giving Tesla the benefit of the doubt, saying even if it was a four-wheel drive version, um, the Tesla Cybertruck is just heavier. That's simply why it won. So it's kind of hilarious to me that Musk goes through all of this trouble to make all of these PR moves, like the the glass ball throw the, you know, the dead blow hammer thing and the F-150 video. He goes to all this trouble to do all of this. And it's so easily debunked. Like, all of this is so easily and obviously fraudulent. Like, it just seems so fake and so phony. It, I, I just can't understand why some people are just jumping behind the Cybertruck, fully expecting it to be real. Now, maybe it does come out. Maybe uh, Musk does make it. Maybe Tesla does come out with the Cybertruck. It's not what it's going to be as you see it now, because what you see now just simply isn't possible to create right now. He doesn't have the means to make the, the steel. It's clearly not bulletproof glass. Um, it clearly can't pull an F-150 uphill, you know, because he proved, well, maybe it can, but he hasn't proven that it can because he the, the test was fraudulent. So it, it just, he's going through all of this trouble and it just seems like this crazy egotistical you know, ego-driven bravado that I can't figure out. And it blows my mind that so many people flock towards this. Um, you know, and like I said, I want to see Tesla succeed. I want to see more great Tesla cars. But, I mean, the real is real, and these tests are fake, and it's just kind of odd. And the whole Cybertruck thing, it's just, it's just the most bizarre event I've ever seen in the automotive industry. Um, I've never seen anything like this where such a ridiculous, obviously fraudulent car is, you know, advertised with such bravado and such arrogance. Um, I mean, even after the ball broke the window, he came back with some crap about how, you know, wh why it broke the window and why it wasn't, you know, his fault. You know, it's, it's really just a mess. It's just a mess of a thing, and a mess of an event, it's a mess of a car, and it's just really, really quite bizarre. Um, but yeah, so the Tesla Cybertruck stole headlines for days, and for, you know, all of the wrong reasons, to be honest. I think even a lot of Tesla supporters have kind of scratched their heads with this one. They want to they wanna be behind it, and they want to support their favorite brand, and they want to support Elon Musk, but this one's a bit odd. You know, it's a bit weird. And it's a shame because it, it kind of soils a lot of the hard work that engineers at Tesla do, in fact, do. I mean, you see the Tesla Model 3 performance, and that's an excellent, excellent car. You know, it's, uh, you know, even our own, one of our own writers, Chuck Vossler, has one, and he loves it. He's a big BMW fan. He has a couple of M3s, and also he's had tons of performance cars over the years. And um, he has a Porsche Cayman GT4. You know, he has some real deal enthusiasts, uh, internal combustion engine cars. But he also has a Model 3 performance, and he loves it. So, you know, there's a there's a place for Tesla. And I think we should all appreciate the, the great cars that it does make. 
But when you see things like the Cybertruck, it kind of soils that reputation. It kind of soils all the hard work and all the good work that Tesla has done. You know, so it's kind of disappointing to see the Cybertruck. I think that's maybe my, my biggest feeling. It's, it's disappointing. You know, why? Why, why do, You don't have to do that, Elon Musk. You don't have to come out and show us this fraud of a car. You know, you know, show us a Model Y. Show us what's really coming next. Don't just, you know, show us this cash grab that's going to make you millions and millions of dollars and non-refundable donations really, really fast, you know, with virtually zero effort. You know, it's kind of, uh, it's almost insulting, actually. Uh, it's just kind of, it's just, it's just so bizarre and disappointing. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually at a loss for words a little bit because it's just the most insane thing I've ever seen in the auto industry. But like I said, I, I like Tesla. Um, well, I like Tesla. I, I've, I've got on record before saying I'm not a big fan of Elon Musk himself. And that's just because I think he is an arrogant uh, egotistical snake oil salesman, but that's um, that's neither here nor there. I do actually like to see when Tesla comes out with really impressive cars, and that's all electric cars. I'm a fan of electric cars, actually. You know, um, I I like when brands you know, come out with new and interesting electric cars. The LA Auto Show was a really really impressive show for EVs, and it kind of actually showed the lack of at least previous effort by BMW in the world of electric cars. Yes, the Bavarians say that they're coming out with stuff, and they're coming out with stuff, and it's all coming and coming and coming, but we still have yet to actually see any real progress there, because the last electric car they sold was the i3 back in 2014. You know, the Mini Cooper SE is out, and that's really cool, but it's basically just an i3 powertrain and a Mini, so it's really not that, you know, groundbreaking impressive but the LA Auto Show was interesting because the BMW stand had nothing electrified really I mean yeah the Mini was there but it was off to the side and again it's just really an i3 and a Mini and then they had a X3 uh, plug-in hybrid as well as a 3 series hybrid but neither of them were plugged in and neither of them were really advertised as kind of being electrified and that's disappointing because I mean the first I think we talked about this on the, the last episode, but the first stand you saw when you walked in to the LA Auto Show was Audi's. And Audi had the e-tron on full display with, you know, a massive plug that you could plug in, like a, a charging station you could plug it in. And then next to that, they had they just debuted the e-tron Sportback. So that's two full EVs, brand new, sitting right in front of your face as soon as you walk in the LA Auto Show. Then you go over to Volkswagen and they had an all new EV concept which looked awesome and it was a it's a wagon and it is going to be coming to America and it's it, it was really funky and cool and uh, then there was the Porsche Taycan they had the Taycan 4S which I think is a fantastic car it's about the same price as a 911 but you know it has over 200 miles of range and it's all electric and it's really awesome and it's dual motor so it's all wheel drive and that's a that, that's an amazing amazing car and then you go over to the BMW stand, and there's just, you know, bupkis. There's nothing. There's nothing there um, electrified. So, you know, I, I make fun of Tesla, but I'd like to see it succeed because it's going to push more companies to make EVs. It's going to push BMW to, to do better, which kind of also makes me disappointed about the Cybertruck because the Germans don't take Tesla seriously enough. Even as someone who mocks Tesla as much as I do, you know, I, I mock, you know, all the silly crap that Musk does. Even I understand that 
BMW needs to take Tesla more seriously, a lot more seriously. I mean, they've gone on record uh, saying that they don't really consider Tesla a threat, but they should. And the fact that they don't is a lot of the reason why they are kind of sluggish in the world of EVs, I think, you know. Look at Porsche. I mean, Porsche saw the Model S and said, okay, this is the real deal. We need to come up with something better. And then they did. And that's how progress happens, you know. So, yes, the Cybertruck is ridiculous. Um, but it's, it's sort of, that's why it's disappointing. Because it's tarnishing the good work Tesla is doing and the work that, a lot of other brands should be taking notice of and you know now BMW are they're going to see the Cybertruck and they're going to say okay see these guys are you know they're clowns over there in Silicon Valley you know they're clowns they're making a fake bulletproof truck that's never actually going to be made so it kind of slows down Tesla's reputation their you know their progress in the industry and you know that's really disappointing to me um, and it hurts the whole industry. Like I, like I said, you know, if, if other brands don't take Tesla seriously, you know, they're not going to push as hard to make change. Um, but, you know, maybe I'm wrong because maybe the rest of the industry has already taken enough notice because, I mean, you have cars like the Mustang Mach-E, uh, you know, so you have some funky new EVs coming out. Um, so the industry is moving forward and it's a direction I like, actually. It's a, it's a direction I think the industry needs to take. And it's a direction I think is going to produce a lot of really great cars. So, you know, maybe the Cybertruck isn't going to actually diminish things too much, but I really do think it hurts Tesla's reputation. And, you know, it's just, again, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. So let's let's just hope that Tesla can actually produce something more interesting than the Cybertruck, something better than the Cybertruck, maybe like a Model Y, you know, a new crossover. That would be a really good idea to do. Uh, the Roadster, that was supposed to be here like yesterday, and it's not. Um, then you have the Roadster too, so let's hope they actually make that, because that would be awesome. But, uh, you know, until we get something actually, you know, another actual real car, the, you know, the last thing Tesla's made is the Model 3, and that was debuted years ago. So let's hope Tesla does something real and not just make, you know, talk about the Cybertruck. Let's, you know, let's see the Model Y. Let's see the Roadster. Hopefully that reputation can uh, can come back a little bit. And uh, they can start making some really good cars that continue to push the industry. Because I think that's very important for both Tesla and, you know, the rest of the industry and the consumer. You know, the more great cars that are on the road, regardless of brand, uh, regardless of what country they come from, all, all that does is benefit the consumer, benefits us. So let's just hope Tesla, I don't know what the hell they need to do, but scrap that damn Cybertruck and work on something better. Um, but yeah, um, we're going to wrap this up and start taking some questions um only one person asked me any questions this week uh they asked a couple though so uh that's good <laughs> um i would like for you guys to participate a little bit more and start asking more questions but i'm happy uh someone did this week and thankfully they asked a few so you know we have a couple to actually answer <clears throat> so juan dominguez asks me well first tells me that he is a uh, BMW M3 G80 enthusiast, which is quite optimistic considering the G80 hasn't even been revealed yet. So the fact that you're an enthusiast about it, um, it's, it's very optimistic, and I appreciate that. Um, but he asks, will the future M3 have a massive grille? And in the case of it being massive, what will it look like? Um, well, yes, it will have a very large grille. 
we've already actually talked to Marcus Flash about it. And uh, yes, the M3 will have a very large grille, similar to what we've seen on the BMW Concept 4. Some spy photos have actually been revealed of it. It was actually leaked photos from the car actually on its assembly line, I think. That's where we think it was taken. Um, we're pretty sure it was taken from in, within BMW M. And uh, they, those photos showed a very, very, very large grille. Um, how large? I can't say for certain but it's going to be quite large and will look similar to what we've seen on the Concept 4, but just a little flusher, like a little more flat and less kind of pronounced. Um, I think it will look better than what we've seen on the Concept 4, and I think we'll get used to it over time, but it is going to be quite shocking at first for sure. He also asks if there are going to be two different models of the M3, and the answer is yes, there will be two different models. Um, there will be a standard M3 and there will be a competition M3, and the standard one will come... They both come with the same engine, so it's the new S58 engine, so it's a 3 liter a twin turbo, straight 6, the same one that's in the X3 and M X4M. Um, in the standard M3, it will probably make around 473 horsepower, because that's what the standard X3M makes, uh, and it will also be available with a 6-speed manual, and it will only be rear-wheel drive. Actually, I believe that one might also have an all-wheel drive option, but it's the only one that will be able to be offered with rear-wheel drive and a six-speed manual. Um, so it's going to be like the enthusiast's choice. Then there's the competition, and that will come with 503 horsepower, uh, at least I'm assuming that, considering that's how much the X3M competition makes. Um, it's 510 PS, and then it's, so it's 503 you know, American horsepower, and that will come only with an automatic, an eight-speed auto, and only all-wheel drive. So it's the first time in history that there will be two different M3 models, like, like two different drivetrains uh, offered with uh, right off the bat. Actually, it's the, it's the first M3 in history with all-wheel drive at all, so that's quite interesting. He also asks when the first image of the uh, G80 M3 is to be expected, and to that I don't know exactly. I mean, sometime 2020, but I, I really don't know. Probably within the first half of 2020, I would say. But I, I can't say for sure, so don't quote me on that. Um, we do know it's. We'll see it in 2020, though. And then finally, has um, Marcus Flash commented on any of the previous questions? And the answer is yes. Um, we have talked to Marcus about all of these things. We've discussed the M3 uh, at length. You can listen to our previous podcast episode where he talks about that himself. He was a guest on our uh, podcast in LA at the LA Auto Show, and you know he talks about the M3 quite a bit. Uh, he does talk about how you know the grill will be large, and that's really kind of to differentiate the M3 um, versus the regular 3 Series. So the 3 Series will keep its normal grill, and the M3 will have the big, massive one, and that's to kind of make the M look a bit more special, look a bit different, and to kind of differentiate it from the standard car. Um, he also talks about the differences in you know the two different models, the you know the regular and the competition M3, and how the regular one is really for enthusiasts. That's going to be the enthusiast choice because you can get it with a manual and a rear wheel drive. So that's going to be the enthusiast choice. And then um, you know he didn't really talk about when we'll see it, but I can imagine you know we'll probably see it within the first half of 2020. But again, don't quote me on that. So that's all we have for today. Uh, it's a little bit of a short one this week. You know, holiday, we did have to take a little bit of a break. So uh, our topics are quite, you know, narrow this week. But, you know, I hope we uh, hope you listen next week, and I hope you stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed this one. 
uh, and we're going to have some more guests coming in the future. Uh, we have the people we want to have on. We have a few of them uh, just kind of agreed to, to come on. So we do have guests lined up for the future, but specific dates aren't set yet. So I, I won't say that, but we do have some interesting guests in the future. So I would stay tuned for future episodes because we will have some very interesting people to talk to and for you to listen to. And uh, we've got some really good stuff coming in the next coming weeks. So stay tuned and hope you enjoyed this one.